the text in your hand there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 4 through 11 was our goal, uh, but I believe we really only made it, what was it this morning we made it through? Verse uh, 9 was where we made it, so... For the sake of time, we're not going to read through it together this morning. Normally, we try to cover the the text that we're reading, and uh, I want to give us some time to just respond to the Lord uh, afterwards. So let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, we just desire to be taught by you today, uh, just a subject that you tell us not to be ignorant of, not to be unaware of. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us knowledge concerning spiritual things and spiritual gifts. But, Lord, that that knowledge wouldn't puff up, rather that it would edify God. Lord, we pray that you would just take us deeper in our walks with you and in our ministries to you and to this church and to the world around us. And, uh, Lord, that we would just receive more of you and more that you'd have for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we just looked at verses 1 through 3, and uh, verse 1 begins a new topic in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, where it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And uh, perhaps you look in your Bible, and even on the screen, the word gifts is in italics. Uh, it was added there by the translators to make it uh, easier to understand and read. The context would suggest, yes, that it's spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about here. But the literal translation reads, now concerning spirituals or concerning spiritual things, brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant. In a couple of weeks we looked at, you know, Paul has a few statements in the scriptures that he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these things. And it's typically things that Christians are ignorant or unaware of, or things that we kind of like put a blind eye to so that we don't get into any controversy. Uh, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the Old Testament. And many Christians never read the Old Testament. They don't have any understanding what the Old Testament is about. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning our fathers and the events of the Old Testament and what they point to. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the resurrection of the dead and things concerning uh, end times. And, and I don't want you to be ignorant concerning that. And uh, the church tries to just skip over anything that has to do with the, the coming of the Lord, whether it's the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ. And Paul just says, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant concerning those things. And there's a few other things as well, but we covered that a couple weeks ago. And here we come to, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the spiritual realm, spiritual things, spiritual gifts. And, uh, and yet, lo and behold, you know, we're ignorant concerning this or we're unknowledgeable about it. There was a, a poll that was taken place by Barna Research Group where they found that um, only 25% of Americans believe in angels, all right? Uh, I'm sorry, this tiny little print, it's uh, 75%, okay? 75% of Americans believe in angels, and that's just Americans. 62% of Americans uh, from the same study, don't believe in a real devil. They only believe that the devil is some kind of a picture or symbol for evil. Uh, 52% of born-again Christians do not believe in the real devil. All right? So that's over half of born-again Christians in America that don't believe that the devil is real. 61% of Americans uh, do not believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's just Americans in general. Most people don't believe in the Holy Spirit, but rather that it's a symbol of God's presence or power, uh, not actually a living person. Uh, 55% of born-again Christians reject the existence of the Holy Spirit. And that's probably one of the most uh, profound statistics there. Uh, that, as Francis Chan has dubbed it, uh, the Holy Spirit has become the forgotten God. The forgotten God. Uh, we're studying in the school of ministry recently how uh, that God has revealed himself as Trinitarian, as a trinity, that he is three persons in one Godhead. And it's a bit of a stretch for our brain, and we try to think up 
things to help explain it. And all those things are inadequate, but give us an elementary understanding. Something similar to like a, an egg that has a shell and an egg white and an egg yolk, and yet it's all one. And that just kind of helps our mind to start beginning to process like, oh, three and one. But that, that analogy falls a bit short when you get deeper into it. Or like water, how there's the liquid and there's ice and there's, and there's vapor. And it just give us, get our brains kind of stretched. And, and yet that analogy eventually falls short. Uh, but the point is that, uh, that God is three persons in one God. All right? We're not talking polygamy here. We're not talking tritheism. There's not three different gods. There's one God in three persons. It's called the Trinity or Tri-Unity. There are three who's within one what. If your brain hasn't exploded yet, woohoo, okay? Uh, as Augustine said, you know what? If God was big enough for me to fully understand, then he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. And uh, I look forward to the day when we'll be able to, to comprehend the Trinity when we stand there uh, before God. With that being said, uh, obviously, if we have a misunderstanding of the Trinity, we have a misunderstanding of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that third person. Uh, and so we often reject the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand uh, how he operates, who he is, what he does. And so we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and uh, forget the Holy Spirit and forget that he has gifts to give us, even in 2013 Primeville. A.W. Tozer, a great preacher from the late 1800s, early 1900s, said that uh, if the Holy Spirit was taken away from the early New Testament church, 90% of what they said and did would have ceased to happen. But if the Holy Spirit was removed from modern day church, 90% of what we, what we do would continue to happen. So often we try to do things in our flesh and by our own wisdom and our own human intellect and we leave the dependency of the Holy Spirit. Often in 2013, the church as a whole has not seen the dynamic results that the early church saw as we read the book of Acts because we're not relying on that same power of the Holy Spirit to move among us. Not only are we not relying on that same power, but most of us don't even believe in that power, don't even believe in the third person of the Trinity. Now, a lot of people, even Christians, think that the Holy Spirit is some kind of force, like something you see on Star Wars, you know, let the force be with you, and you know, you got lightsabers and all that cool stuff. Russell's really into it right now, okay? Um, but the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is a person. As Chuck Smith said, he's got personality plus. And we kind of err when we talk about the Holy Spirit and we say, it's over there, it's over here, you know? It, you know it. He is not an it. He is a he, all right? We see in the scriptures that he has a personality, that he can be grieved, he can be sad, he can uh, direct, he can call people to go to this place, or he can forbid people from going there. He can speak and say, hey, I'm calling you out to go as a missionary, so go, Paul and Barnabas. Okay? Uh, he can be grieved when we have sin. He can be quenched when we have sin. He has a job, the scripture says, and Jesus says, he will testify of me. All right? Jesus says, it's actually better that I ascend and go to heaven because then I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. And he will always point you to me. That's a job of the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit also has the job of giving gifts. The job of giving gifts. Something that we try to push aside are the, the roles of the Holy Spirit. And there's actually three different roles of the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture. And that's not the real purpose of today's study, so we're not going to get real deep into it. But one of the first roles of the Holy Spirit is found in the, in the New Testament with the Greek word para. Okay, if you're a note taker, para. Okay, and it means with. That the Holy Spirit is with you. Alright, so as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. He's with us. But even before we're Christians, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is with non-Christians and he's convicting non-Christians about sin and about righteousness and about the judgment that's going to come. He's drawing them, he's wooing them to come to salvation. It's a job of the Holy Spirit, para, alongside of. 
Then we see that the Holy Spirit comes into somebody when they become a Christian. It's the Greek word en. In, in 1 Corinthians, we read that a couple weeks ago, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And so he goes from being alongside of you to going and dwelling within you. And there's intimacy there. And he brings all kinds of goodly fruits out of our life by dwelling inside of us. He gives us great strength and victory. Uh, he gives us the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And in and, 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 and verse 13 here in chapter 12, we read that it's at that moment that by one spirit we're all baptized into one Body And a little later in verse 13 here, it says we're all made to drink into one spirit. Okay, that's when he comes into us. We drink of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized uh, into the church in a sense, into the church of God. But then we have another role that the Holy Spirit has on our life. And it's the word epi, E-P-I. And we find it in many places, but in first, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus says, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And he quotes John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist says this in every one of the Gospels. John the Baptist says, I truly baptize with water unto repentance, but one is coming after me who is mightier than I, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, Jesus says that right before he ascends, he sends the disciples, he says, he ascends and he sends the Holy Spirit. Okay, don't get confused. I'm confusing myself. What the? Okay, he sends the disciples into Jerusalem and he says, wait there for the promise of the Father. And then he says this, and you can flip over there real quick to Acts chapter one if you want, verse eight. He says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses, okay? So this third thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian is he comes upon you in a very powerful way. You'll receive, the word is dunamis, power. Dynamite, dynamic power, okay? And with the power of the Holy Spirit, as he comes upon you, you will be bold witnesses to go out and tell people about Jesus, Jesus calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not when you're baptized with water, it's when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, there's been, a, there's been a lot of abuse of this, there's been a lot of confusion on this. People think that when they're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they just gotta go crazy and roll around on the ground and bark like a dog and crow like a rooster and vomit in a trash can and all of that kind of stuff. We don't see that in the scripture. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. All things concerning spiritual gifts are to be done decently and in order, okay? But what we do see happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer is dynamic power, all right? Power, explosive power to tell the world about Jesus. And interesting, when you read the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Christians, oftentimes you see their spiritual gifts come out, all right? I'm not saying they never had spiritual gifts. I'm just saying you see them using them in a more evident way. Now, there's a few different views on this, okay? Uh, there's a view that the, the moment you become a Christian, you drink the Holy Spirit in a sense. He comes into you and, uh, and you're also baptized with the Holy Spirit and he comes upon you. It's the same thing, okay? There's another view that says, People get saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, it, Jesus says he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sent them into Jerusalem uh, to wait for the Spirit to now come upon them in power for preaching. There's a lot of guys that love Jesus, that, uh, that believe that, one, hey, the day you're saved, man, you have the Spirit dwell in you and upon you. Uh, and my position, which isn't the better position, uh, it's typically Calvary Chapel's position, is that there's a subsequent work. That as we wait on the Lord, he continually fills us. But you know what? I don't want to be unduly dogmatic. Don't just believe what I believe. You're sensible people. Look at the scriptures and see what it says. Alistair Begg actually holds a different opinion than me on this, but I love what he says. He's one of my favorite preachers, and he says, whatever it is, I want it, and whatever it is, I need it. And honestly, that's my position, all right? My position is we need the Holy Spirit, okay? 
We want to know who he is. We know that Jesus has told us, hey, you need to be baptized with water and you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Praise God if it's happened to you the moment you were born. But I would encourage you this. Examine your life today. Examine your Christianity. Is your Christianity marked by power? Dynamite power. Is it? You've been saved. You've been born again. Do you have the power to go out and preach the gospel? To be a witness. And the word in the Greek is actually to be a martyr. Do you see that in your life? And I would encourage you. I'm not saying you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But here's what I would encourage you. The Greek word filled actually means to keep being filled. And most would agree on that, that we just need to continually, 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 always just have more and more of the Holy Spirit pouring himself out. I love in John chapter seven, Jesus stands up in the midst of the temple and he says, the day is gonna come when people who drink of me will have torrents of living water coming out of their hearts. And it says, this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because he had not yet ascended and been glorified. Okay, we need the torrents of living water. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in that way, you're not gonna get all crazy, okay? But you're gonna have power. You're gonna have power to tell the world about Jesus. You're gonna have power to use the gifts that God has given you to build up this church so that we can go forth and make disciples and grow the kingdom of God, okay? So examine yourself today, all right? And say, where's the power, Lord? This is just dull. This is dreary. You know, some of you, you're like a sponge that sits next to the kitchen sink and dries out and it's all, you know, and you can knock it on the counter. It's all click, click, click. And you need to be plunged into the water of the Holy Spirit. That's a metaphor that's used to describe the person of the Holy Spirit, how he brings times of refreshing, how he brings, he just saturates us. Have you been saturated? You could just ask today. We're going to give a time later just for, Lord, whatever it is, I want him upon me. I want him in me. I want to be used by him. I want the gifts to be evident in my life. I felt that we needed to to talk about the Holy Spirit for a little bit before we got into the gifts that he gives. Now, something that we see in verses 2 and 3 is it tells us a true sign of spirituality. All right, And the true sign of something that is spiritual is, does it exalt Jesus Christ as Lord? We examined that two weeks ago. I encourage you to listen to the MP3 on our website. But the question is, does this gift or does this spiritual manifestation bring about obedience in my life that shows Jesus is Lord? Not just a lip service. Anybody can say, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is, you know. It's another thing to live that Jesus is Lord. And when we have this Holy Spirit in us, empowering us and moving us, we are going to live a life of godly Christ-like character, not just a whole bunch of dramatic, crazy things that we do, okay? So talked about that two weeks ago. Don't want to get redundant. Want to get into the text because uh, we want to give a place for the Lord Um, to to give us gifts today and to pour himself out upon us afresh. Um, As we look at verses four and five and six, by the way, can I just say one quote before we move on? You guys mature enough for that? Okay. This is what a, a preacher named Vance Havner said. He said, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. The Lord wants to give us power today to change the world. We're pretty good about complaining about it. We're pretty good about, you know, there's no light out there. It's just a bunch of darkness. And yet we're never the lights to drive the darkness away. And God wants to fill us and overflow us with the Holy Spirit today so that we can be the true lights, combustional, powerful explosions that will change this world for Jesus little whistle there. Give a little whistle. Okay. Okay. We're going to move right now from the subject of not being ignorant about spiritual matters. And we want to dive in and grow and understand the things of the spirit of God to move into the gifts of the spirit of God. 
how God gives gifts. He, he's the spirit that has a role, that has a job to distribute gifts, all right? Now let's look at this. Verses 4, 5, and 6, we'll read it together and then we'll pull it apart a little bit. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now, one thing I just want to notice real quick, this is a wonderfully subtle Trinitarian statement, okay? This is something that shows that God is three persons, okay? In that you have the Spirit of God, you have in verse, so in verse 4 at the end it says that the Spirit is working in these gifts. You have the Lord, which is Paul calls Jesus the Lord in the New Testament. So you have the Spirit, you have Jesus the Son, and you have God at the end of verse 6. So this subtly Trinitarian statement there that, that shows us that the Trinitarian God is involved in all of these gifts. Now, we see that there are diversities of gifts. That is true. There are, there are nine gifts listed here in verse 12. Romans gives us another list of gifts, and Ephesians gives us another list of gifts. So these are not exhaustive gift set lists. But it shows us that there's diversities of how God has distributed these presents to us so that we can be used in a wonderful way in our church and in our world, in our church first and in our world secondly. Just like in music, John Calvin uh, likens it to music, how in music there's all these different sounds. You know, there's the saxophone, there's the trumpet, there's the piccolo, there's the flute, there's the recorder, there's the some guy playing one triangle thing, you know, and that's all he does the whole time. There's all these different instruments making all these different sounds, but when they're all together, there's great unity, there's great harmony. He says it produces concord. They all harmonize as one. I was watching the news last night. Maybe you saw this. They had this event called Tuba Palooza, all right? It was like 500 tubas playing Christmas carols. It was interesting, but it wasn't the most pretty thing I've ever heard. You know, 500 people doing that. It's like, okay. They all thought it sounded beautiful. And if you play the tuba here, I don't mean any offense whatsoever. All right. But the Lord has made us more than a tuba band. All right. He's, he wants to give us gifts and he's given us gifts that'll bring out a beautiful symphony Something that is just spectacular and gorgeous and wonderful. Now, there are diversities of gifts, verse 4 tells us. It's the word charismata, okay? Charismata, I should emphasize, because the root word is charis. That's the word grace in the Greek. It's the distribution of grace. There's these good gifts of grace. And every single one of the gifts that we read here denote extraordinary powers, and each gift not only denotes extraordinary powers, but distinguish each Christian from the other. We're different, and we each have something extraordinary and radical that God has given us. Now, it's important for you to know, and there's some confusion of this in the church, that these gifts are not simply natural talents, okay? They're not simply natural talents, okay? Uh, we often think that um, just because, you know, I can play the guitar, that that's my spiritual gift, okay? Um, let me just tell you this. If you think your spiritual gift is something that you had before you were a Christian, I would say that the Lord actually might be using your talent to emphasize and show forth the gift that he's given you. For instance, let's say somebody from the day they were in kindergarten has always been a wonderful communicator, okay? Now, that wasn't their spiritual gift. They're not even saved, okay, that, this individual, this hypothetical individual. Before they're saved, some kindergartners are saved. Don't get all mad at me, okay? Uh, before they get saved, they're, you know, they're just good communicators. And then as they're born again, as the Holy Spirit gives them gifts... All of a sudden, they're just incredible teachers. You know, they're able to teach the Sunday school kids about Jesus. They're able to teach the youth group kids and just pull apart the word of God and bring great explanation to it. They're able to preach. And God has used that natural talent that was a, a gift from God to display and to emphasize this incredible spiritual gift that's called, in a few verses, a manifestation of the Spirit. Okay? So... I encourage you to look beyond just whatever natural talent you may have and say, Lord, what have you given me 
This actually is a word, I think it's used in verse um, seven, okay? In verse seven, it says that the manifestation of the spirit is given. What does that mean? The manifestation of the spirit? What if I said this? The spirit has manifested himself. What would that mean? It'd mean that the spirit has like showed himself to be real. He's really here. He's moving. He's active. He's present. It's obvious manifestation. That's the case with these gifts. Whenever you're using them, people are going to say, man, the Lord is totally working through that lady right now or that guy right now. It is obvious. There's a manifestation of the spirit taking place. Okay. Now, important to note, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different gifts and not every gift is going to look the same. All right. Some guy that has the gift of preaching and teaching, God is going to take his gift and he's going to use him to be on TV all the time and preaching all, publicly all over the place. And, and my gift might look different than that. All right. Um, so there's diversities. And then verse five says there's differences in ministries, but it's the same Lord. Okay. Differences of, of ministries. It, the word ministry means servant. There's different ways of serving. Maybe you're a King James Version reader here, and it says there's differences in administrations or offices, okay? And so it's good to know there's different offices of service within the church, but hey, it's all one Jesus. Don't get tripped out about all the diversity. It's one Holy Spirit that's given it. It's one Lord Jesus Christ who's over it, okay? Uh, there's, the third statement is found there in verse 6. And there's different activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. I like this. The word activities is the word energimata. What do you think the root word there? Energy. All right. There's different energies going on. There's different operations that are happening. There's different active miraculous power is what it's speaking of. But it's, it's the same Lord that we're worshiping that is working this all out. It's the same God who's making it happen, or as the, as the one translation says, God is making it totally function. Now, as we talk about spiritual gifts, we want to know, first of all, who is the giver of the gift? Well, we see it's a Trinitarian operation. The Spirit is involved. The Son is involved. The Lord is involved, who's working it all out. But verse 7 tells us, it's a manifestation of the spirit that is given to each one for the profit of all. And we're going to just find three incredible statements here in verse seven. First of all, we see that the spirit is the one who gives the gifts. He's the distributor of the gifts. And later on in this chapter, it's going to say that he distributes all the gifts however he wants as he wills, as he sees fit. So it's the Lord who gives the gift. Secondly, who does he give the gift to? Does he give the gift to only really special men? All right. Maybe men who have degrees and plaques on their wall and ordination certificates. Is that who gets a special uh, spiritual gift? Is it a man or a woman who's proved themselves? Well, verse seven tells us, that the manifestation of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one. And if you just browse down, look at verse 7, to each one. Look at verse 11, to each one. In Romans chapter 4, we see each one of us, let each one of us who's been given a gift use it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that uh, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it. So if you're a Christian, this is what I'm saying. I don't know if you're ready for it or not. This is what I'm saying. If you are a born-again Christian here today, you've been given at least one spiritual gift. For you to use in a way that shows that the Spirit has manifested himself and the church will be edified, and we'll see that in just a second. Now, a year ago, we were looking at uh, the church series. I don't know if you were here for that. If you weren't, go online and listen to it, okay? And in our series, examining what is the church, what it's supposed to be like, should I really go, you know, this and that, we asked some questions. And one of the questions is, what is my obligation to this church if I consider this to be my church and I'm already a born-again Christian? 
And one of the things that we have as a duty as born-again Christians and as uh, members of this congregation, if you will, is that you have a duty to use your gift in this church. God has given you a gift, and biblically, your gift is to be used within this local congregation, within this church. And so I'm probably going to encourage you a bunch today and in the weeks to come as we examine spiritual gifts to keep asking the Lord, Lord, what is my spiritual gift or my spiritual gifts? And how can I use them in this church? Because biblically, I have a duty and an even stronger word I might use, an obligation to use it. Why? Why is it such a big deal that I'm using it? Because verse 7 ends by saying, that each one is given a gift for the profit of everybody else, okay? Your gift is very necessary in this church, all right? For one thing, the, deter- the amount of joy that you're going to have as a Christian is going to be directly involved and directly related to how much you're serving in the local church, all right? I'm not saying you got to be up here preaching. I'm saying God has given you a way to serve here. And in that, you're going to be given great joy, incredible joy. But even more importantly, and as the text says, your gift is to be used to profit each man around you and each woman around you. As we look at this, and especially as we get to chapter 14, it says, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Your gift has been given so that you might help build up this church. Have you ever thought of that? If you've never thought of it, man, ask the Lord to show you how exactly you can be used here. Maybe talk to an elder and uh, come talk to me and say, man, I, I don't know what my gift is. Pray for me. Uh, and, and here's what maybe it is. And maybe this is what the Lord showed me. How can I use it here in this church? But the purpose is for the edification of the church so that we can all be built up and equipped and go out and take the gospel to this world. So who gives the gifts? It's a God thing specifically the Holy Spirit's job. Who gets the gifts? Every man. Every man that's born again, okay? Every woman that's born again. Isn't that exciting? Is that not exciting to think like, God has like a gift for me? By the way, that wasn't a spiritual gift of mine doing that. That was all me. Don't blame it on God. God has something radical for you so that this church can be all that God wants it to be. I love hearing about Charles Spurgeon's church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, over in England in the late 1800s. Listen to what his biographer wrote about what that church was like, okay? He says, there were very few who came to church only on Sundays. The tabernacle was a place of almost constant activity. On each of the seven days of the week, the doors were open at 7 a.m. and they did not close until 11 at night. There were people coming and going all the time. Sunday school met in the afternoon. It was a fervent institution with well over a thousand boys and girls in attendance and something like a hundred teachers. On Sunday evenings, the number of tabernacle people who were out conducting meetings amounted to at least a thousand. And Spurgeon remarked, the tabernacle is like a hive of bees. And for the vast majority of its people, to be a member meant to live a very busy life. I think that's a word for us today. God has given you, Christian, a gift so that you could lead a very busy life serving this church, building up this church so that we can go out and evangelize the world for Christ. And you know what? I'm praising God that I don't have to sit here today and go, so why aren't we like that, people? You know, because you know what? God has made us a little beehive here. He's been making us a little beehive. And I just wrote down a few things last night as I was studying. So pleased to see our church just buzzing with activity as we've got this kid's Christmas play with all kinds of rehearsals and costumes being made and decorations being set up. You've got ladies on, you know, towers or uh, ladders with staple guns and hanging lights and putting fabric up. You've got people decorating and putting up Christmas trees and trimming branches and, you know, uh, 
decorating all over the place, hanging little bells and things like that. Um, you've got uh, preparation for the Christmas bazaar, people organizing things to reach out to this community and setting it up and operating it and tearing it down and people evangelizing uh, at the Christmas bazaar and handing out tracts and, and uh, a total buzz of, of uh, work. In fact, even just driving by and seeing people printing gospel tracts and seeing a guy up on the roof and scraping snow off the roof and, you know, just a, a buzz of activity to say the least and a school of ministry where people are coming on Wednesday nights to be equipped on how to serve the Lord. Uh, a prayer meeting on Thursday night, people coming to pray for you guys. A youth group on Tuesday night, we're just a buzz of activity. But one research group said that in their research, it said 20% of the people in the church do all the work, while 80% of the church sits by and watches. And I would pray that through this series, God would at least flip that statistic. So that it'd be 80% of the church just working and laboring and loving on the Lord. And not only doing it, not only doing it on their own strength, but doing it in the strength the Holy Spirit has provided through these spiritual gifts as he manifests himself here. Imagine what our church would be like. It's an exciting thing. And I hope it stirs in you that God's given you something and, and he wants to use you in an incredible way. Quickly, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 uh, we're going to look at it more next week, but it describes the church to be like a body, all right? We're like a body, and our body is, has joints, and we're knit together. We got this arm that's attached by this shoulder joint, and it says that every joint supplies something, okay? Are you supplying something to this church? Are you providing something? It says it's according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body of Christ for the edifying of itself in love. Everybody's to do their share. Everybody has a part. Everybody isn't supposed to do everything, but everybody is called by God to do something. So now, what are these gifts? We won't get through all of them today. We're going to begin to look at this non-exhaustive list of the manifestation of the Spirit, also known as gifts, these gifts are not given as toys to be played with or as trophies to brag about, but rather as tools to be used for the kingdom. And the effectiveness of Calvary Chapel of Crook County is directly related to you as an individual member of this church discovering and implementing your God-given giftedness. In verse 8, we see to one person is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the Spirit. So the first gift on the list that Paul uses as an example is the word of wisdom. It's a gift that's given to an unlearned individual who is heralding the truth of Christ. It's a unique ability to speak forth wisdom from God, especially in a unique or important situation. Now, James tells us in chapter 1 that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask the Lord and he'll give you that wisdom. But this seems to be something even more than that, something that is divine from God that specifically brings peace to a conflict or a situation. We see something similar to it in the Old Testament when Solomon, who's just a normal king, you know, he's asked by God, hey, tell me what you want, what you really, really want, and I'll give it to you, okay? I did not mean to quote, who was that? I don't even know. I don't know, okay. She's on my Pandora. Okay. Tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for riches or wealth or anything like that. He asked for wisdom, for an understanding heart that he could rule God's people. And God says, wow, you asked for that? Because you asked for that, I'm also going to give you riches and, and fame and all of that. But he gave Solomon this incredible understanding heart, this incredible wisdom. Kings from all over and queens came to pick his brain and puzzle him with riddles. And God gave him incredible wisdom. It was a gift of wisdom. But something incredible happened one day when two different harlots who happened to be pregnant were, uh, were lying and, and as they were asleep, uh, one harlot rolled over on top of her baby and suffocated her baby. And so she swapped the babies while the other gal was asleep and pretended that that one was hers. And so this shook the real mom up really bad. She came running before King Solomon and said, this lady killed her baby and now she's saying that my baby is her baby and this baby is that baby. And, ah. Okay, a lot of confusion going on. And Solomon says, okay, um, bring me a sword, and we'll chop the baby in half, and each of you can have a half of the baby. 
Seems pretty wise, doesn't it? And, and the one who was really the mom said, no, don't do that. Just let her have it. Let the baby live. And for some reason, the lady who already won the debate and would have had the baby says, no, chop it in half. Who cares anyways? And it was just this wise thing that Solomon was able to say that brought, brought an understanding to the situation. And Solomon says, hey, now I know whose baby it really is. Give it to the real mom. And at the end of this account, it says, all Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Whenever this gift that's used, this word of wisdom, it'll cause people to give glory to God, to fear the Lord, and the church will be edified. Uh, you seem to see this in other places in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13 uh, the Jews look at Peter and John as they're preaching the gospel. And it says that they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure exactly that that's a spiritual gift. But it gives us a taste. It gives us an idea that here are guys that are in their natural ability and their natural capacity. They don't got it. All right. They're untrained men. But having been with Jesus... They've got this incredible wisdom. Now, something I believe more is an actual gift of this spiritual gift of wisdom is found in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, when Stephen, who's one of the first deacons, gets in a debate. And if you can just hop down to verse 10 there in Acts chapter 6, it says the people on the other end of the debate were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. As he spoke, they just, man, there's something about, this guy's just like, Point, counterpoint, you know, just bring in wisdom to the situation. And it ended the debate. We also have another debate, even within the church, found in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, when some of the believers were trying to press the, the teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved, to be born again. And so a great argument happened within the early church, and a great debate arose, and people all traveled to Jerusalem to hash it out. And after much arguing and after much debate, Finally, James, the Lord's brother, stands up and speaks a word that just settles the issue and everybody goes, amen, let's do that. And let's send a letter out that says you don't need to be circumcised, but abstain from sexual immorality and from eating meat sacrificed to idols. And everyone said, amen. James stood up, spoke a word that brought peace to the situation. And so perhaps for you, you're in a situation where you're just like, Lord, I need wisdom. I need more than wisdom, Lord. My, my job title, my situation in this community or in this church, I don't got the ability, Lord. Lord, speak. Give me the gift of the word of wisdom. And you know what? I'm so blessed sometimes. I'm, I'm not sure I have this gift. But there's times in my counseling when I'll just pray, Lord, I just need a gift today for this word of wisdom that would bring peace to this situation. And it just would calm the storm. There's also the word of knowledge, which is different than the word of wisdom. It's a unique ability to declare knowledge that could only be revealed supernaturally by the Spirit of God. Jesus did it all the time. In fact, when Charles Spurgeon was a, little, was a youth, he got saved going to a church where the preacher was just preaching and the Holy Spirit revealed the preacher things about young Spurgeon's life that nobody else in the world would know but God himself. And that's what drew Charles Spurgeon to Christ was only God would know this. That's the word of knowledge. Uh, it's similar to uh, Elisha in the Old Testament where Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was trying to attack Israel. And every attack would get thwarted. And he says, do we have a mole in our intelligence agency here? And his servant says, we don't have a traitor here. What we have is there's a prophet in Israel who knows everything that you say, including what you speak to your wife in your bedroom at night. And this king goes, we got to go get that guy. <laughs> All right. I mean, Elisha was speaking prophetic words and words of knowledge that, that were exactly what was going on. Only the Lord would have known that. And we see that in the New Testament. In the book that we've been studying, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, What man knows the things of the man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So only the Lord really knows what's going on in the mind. And the Spirit of God reveals what's going on in the mind in other into this person with this gift. We see it in Acts chapter 5. Do you guys remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? 
everybody's being really generous in the church and everybody's selling land and giving the land to the church so that the church can distribute it to the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira get a great idea. We're going to sell our land and keep back a chunk of it and give the rest to the Lord, but say that we're giving everything to the Lord. Great idea, honey. Yeah, great idea. And Peter is told this word of knowledge that this has taken place. And as they bring the offering, he goes, hey, what's the deal? Why have you decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back this portion for yourself? It was yours anyways. Just keep the whole thing. But why do you got to lie to the Holy Spirit and to God? And Ananias was struck dead right there. And then his wife comes in. He does the same thing to her. And then she's struck dead right there. The Lord gave him a word of knowledge in that situation. As Alistair Begg says, the gift of knowledge as it exists today seems to be the ability to grasp the meaning of God's present revelation in the scripture, which is a mystery to the natural mind. And it is a gift which is basic to all Christian preaching and teaching. I regularly, as I teach, ask the Lord for words of knowledge. That when I'm teaching, he would give me a word about you out there that only the Lord would know and that he would use that to draw you to himself. And there's so many times when people come up to me and say, you were talking right to me. How did you know that was going on in my life? And if you remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about Halloween and not that it's bad to do anything on Halloween, but I was speaking of, man, what you're doing, are you glorifying the Lord? You know, are you posting pictures of yourself on Facebook where you're wearing scandalous outfits and, and demonic costumes and getting drunk and all of those things? And I had nobody in my mind or anything like that. And after the message, somebody came up and said, were you looking at my Facebook account last night? And I was like, no, why? She's like, here's my Facebook profile picture. You know, and I was like, okay, well, um, I think the Lord's trying to get a hold of you and tell you something, you know? And I said, that very well may have been a word of knowledge for you to repent and to turn to the Lord. So that's the word of knowledge. And in verse nine, we have the gift of faith. The gift of faith. And, and notice every time he's just expressing that it's the Lord. It's the same spirit that's giving all of these things, okay? We have faith by the same spirit and gifts of healings by the same spirit. In verse 10, we'll see miracles by the same spirit. Now, the faith that we're talking about here isn't just a simple saving faith or even everyday faith that Hebrews eleven six speaks of that anyone that comes to the Lord can't please the Lord unless it's by faith. But this seems to be in the scripture, special, radical, powerful faith endowed to a believer where they have confidence that God is going to work in a certain situation. Uh, I've heard preachers call it extreme faith or a trust thrust. Okay, it's when God gives you incredible faith to do what seems impossible normally. Donald Gee, who is a English Pentecostal Bible teacher who writes books such as The Wind and the Flame, or actually he wrote it, he's passed away since. But even all men on both sides of, the, of a debate on the Holy Spirit have said, you know what, Donald Gee is an apostle of balance. He's an apostle of balance. And so Gee writes, it would seem that faith comes upon certain of God's servants in times of special crisis or opportunity in such mighty power that they are lifted right out of the realm of even natural or ordinary faith in God and have a divine certainty put within their souls that triumphs over everything. And I think a lot of times you see the gift of faith coupled with other gifts, Right? You see the gift of faith coupled with the gift of healing or the gift of, of wisdom. Whenever it's time to actually act on your gift and you're scared to do it, to so say, Lord, Lord, now I need radical faith to do this thing, to pick this person out of their wheelchair, you know, or to raise this person from the dead or to do this or to do that. God, I need faith to do something so radically. We see this so often, even in modern day Christianity with the missionaries that go out into the other worlds. In fact, you see a whole lot of these things happening in other countries and people who aren't so self-sufficient or explain things away by physical realm or rely upon the people and the things of this world rather than on God. You see in the life of the Chinese missionary or the missionary to China, he was, he was a, uh, where was Hudson Taylor from? Read Hudson Taylor's book and now I'm blanking. I think he was from England, uh, went to China and adopted the Chinese dress and culture and everything. So 
He was this uh, English man who started wearing the, the Chinese outfit, growing a Fu Manchu, grew his hair down his back and braided it and all that stuff, learned the sword. No, I don't know about that part. Kind of made that up. <laughs> I mean, you need that to be a missionary, but it's a spiritual gift. Something incredibly, though, is he had the faith to go where nobody else was going, to preach the gospel to a very hostile group of people around the Boxer Rebellion time. And because of his great radical faith, people would tell you the China Inland Mission was formed. Another incredible man, George Mueller, was in London, and he was a man who founded many orphanages and schools. And something incredible about his life is he trusted the Lord for the resources to build these places and to provide for these needs. He was the founder of Ashley Down Orphanage and took care of over 10,000 Christians, uh, orphanage, excuse me, 10,000 orphans during his ministry. And he always relied on the Lord to provide, even when there was nothing there. Uh, one famous example is when there was no food in the cupboard, okay? Couldn't give the dog a bone, all right? And uh, he had a 1,000 orphans coming in and sitting down for breakfast, and he had nothing to feed them. And they sat there with their empty bowls and with their cups, and he said, okay, it's time to bless the food. You know, it's time to say grace and thank the Lord for our food. And they said grace, and there was nothing to eat. And they get a knock on the back door, and it's the baker in town who'd, baked, uh, who'd been led to bake tons of bread for the orphanage, and he just brought it by without having been asked to do that. And then the milk truck broke down across the street, and the milkman had to get rid of all of his milk because it was going to spoil. And so at the same time as the baker's there, they come bringing in all of these milk products for the kids to eat. And that's just the story of George Mueller's life as he uh, founded orphanages over there in uh, in England. And so just a, a gift of faith that doesn't look at the physical, but is able to look beyond the physical to say, Lord, what are you doing? How do you want to move? I believe you can do it. Let's go. It's go time. We see here also the gifts of healings by the same spirit. In John Calvin's commentary, he writes, everyone knows what is meant by the gift of healing. And then he just moves on to the next gift. But uh, he either knew something that none of us knew, or he didn't want to touch this. It's actually a very controversial subject in the church today. Um, you might have people on this end that would call themselves cessationists that believe that these miraculous gifts of the Spirit ended with either the written word of God in the New Testament canon or the death of the last apostles, that these miraculous gifts were only needed to verify the preaching of the apostles, okay? And, uh, and so that would be one end of things. And then you have perhaps over here the hyper-charismatics or hyper-Pentecostals that would uh, kind of make things up about the Spirit of God or go beyond what the Scripture tells us about the Spirit of God and maybe abuse the spiritual gifts. And so uh, what Calvary Chapel is often known for uh, is maybe a balance between those things where we would call ourselves charismatic with a seatbelt. Okay, we recognize that there's abuse of the gifts of the Spirit so often, and so we want to make sure we're using these gifts of the Spirit rightly, according to the Scripture, and according to truth. We, may be in that, we might be in that category called open but cautious, okay? Uh, that we want to see the Lord move in power, we believe he can move in power. We see in the New Testament that the Lord never said that the, the gifts would cease. And so we say, all right, Lord, well, when we use it, we want to make sure we're using it right. And we'll be very careful to not steal any glory from you or get our eyes on any man. Uh, and so when it comes to the gift of healings, this would be one of those things. Does God heal today? And, uh, and many men who might a little bit more on this side would say, yeah, God heals today, but it's not to the same degree and level that we see in the scriptures, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, look at Mark 16, 17 through 18 that says, these are signs that will follow those who believe. And then it goes on to say, they will pray for the sick and they will be healed. These are signs that will follow those who believe, not these will signs that will follow those who believe until the Bible is written, or these are signs that will follow those who believe until, you know, the last apostle dies. I don't know about you guys, but we are those that believe, right? And so we believe that the Lord is able to do these things. Or in James chapter 5, he says, If anyone among you is sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
And so I believe that the gift of healing, the gifts of healings, I should say, that that we see them happening today. But I will say I want to be very cautious to call a healing a healing, okay? And we want to make sure that we test everything because there are many things called healings that are not on the same level as what we see Jesus doing or what we see um, the apostles doing. Um, You know, I I probably have this view. And and you know what? By the way, I just share this view with humility Uh, Not with undue dogmatism. I'm very sensitive to the other positions of men that love Jesus. And I've read many different opinions this week. And so I'm just sharing where I'm at. And and I say it with humility and say, go read the Bible. Follow the scriptures, okay? But uh, when I was in fifth grade, my dad was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. He had a grapefruit-sized tumor wrapped between his heart and his lungs. Actually wrapped around his heart. And, uh, And so they went in. They put him on chemotherapy. They began zapping him with radiation. And the tumor shrank, and then the tumor grew again. And so they shipped him down to Stanford University to prepare him for a bone marrow transplant, which they call dying to live. And, uh, and they basically took my dad to the point of death and took all of his white blood cells out just to pump him full of new ones. And uh, he almost died there uh, after much drama there in the Stanford hospital. He was done with his bone marrow transplant, and the cancer came back. Okay, and, uh, and he started looking better, and the cancer came back. And so about five different times, he went into remission, and the cancer came back. He went into remission, and the cancer came back. This happened fifth grade year, sixth grade year, seventh grade year for me. My first day of seventh grade, my mom came to my school with tears in her eyes and said, your dad went to the doctor today, and they found tumors all over his body. The cancer has come back, and they told him this time it's time to go home and get ready to die. And my dad had said, you know what? That's not what the Lord had told me is going to happen. The Lord has told me he's going to heal me. So what do we do? Let's go to our church. And so we went to the church that we went to. And my dad said, I've been told I'm going to die. Will you pray for me that the Lord would heal me? And they said, no, the Lord doesn't heal today. You need to go home and get ready to die. And so we said, I don't think so. So we went across the street to someone that might've been over on this end of things, a little bit hyper charismatic in the use of the gifts, but God used that. And this guy prayed for my dad, and that day, the tumors disappeared. He never had cancer again, and uh, he went back to Dr. Death, we called him, and said, can you do another x-ray? And the doctor was just flabbergasted that my dad had been healed. And I saw that as a seventh grade boy. And so I've always had that faith in my heart that God is able to do that. And I've seen him. I was just telling someone the other day, I don't know, it seems that God has used our church to heal people. Uh, we've seen healings in our church in incredible ways. When I moved here, my family has a history of TMJ and uh, the little special cushion disc in your jaw that protects uh, the nerves in your jaw from your jaw when it goes up like this. It's like a pillow. Well, mine had slipped away and ripped in half inside my jaw so that my jaw was nerve, uh, bone on nerve, crunching my nerves. And not only that, it would freeze up. And so it, it would either freeze open And I'd have to like, you know, and try to get it shut. Or it would freeze shut and I couldn't get it open, which is very embarrassing when you're with the Vaughn family at the pizza parlor and you go to put a piece of pizza in your mouth and it doesn't open and you just put it all over your face, okay? I think Erica was looking at me right when that happened. And so I came to the Pulse prayer meeting and I prayed that God would heal me and he didn't heal me. And we prayed that God would heal me and he didn't heal me. I just offered it up to the Lord. Lord, if you're using this trial in my life, then use this trial in my life. And for a while he did and it was very painful. But Frank and Loretta and Gail Smith would ask me every Thursday, how's your jaw doing? We're praying for it. How's your jaw doing? We're praying for it. And Kevin Vaughn took me up to the surgeon in Portland and, and the surgeon said, yep, you need to have surgery. Let's get it scheduled. Let's get this done. And, uh, and I came home after spending a lot of money and the Lord healed me. Like jaw pain gone, no issues whatsoever. And so from, you know, I see that, man, you know what? It hasn't come back. I believe that God has healed me. Um, praise God. I get to testify and give glory to Jesus Christ. Um, Do you guys remember John and Hope Dick who fellowshiped at our church? You might remember John had migraines that would keep him home on Sunday mornings and he'd be throwing up and get tunnel vision and he'd just lay like a baby on uh, on his couch. Uh, We all remember that. And, And I remember being at the men's retreat with Aaron and Jesse Martinez and we were weeping and crying with John that, that the Lord would heal him and the Lord didn't heal him. And we're like, okay, the Lord's using this in your life, John. He's, he's chosen not to heal you right now. And we just kept praying. And one Sunday... 
John and Hope were leaving church and they stopped at Walmart and John got a migraine and he's throwing up all over the Walmart parking lot and he's like wailing and Hope is crying and the Shartans are there going, what is going on with you, John? And Hope goes, let's pray. Will you pray, Rory, for us that God would heal John right now? I was like, sure, okay, you know, prayed that God would heal John. And the migraine went away right there in the Walmart parking lot and he hasn't had a migraine for two years, okay? So God's able to heal. Speaking of migraines, last year at the fast, Aaron was coming down. He had a migraine during our time of prayer and fasting and he pulled over on the side of the road and he said, I can't go tonight. This is just horrible. And the Lord goes, what are you gonna do otherwise? He's like, get down there for the prayer meeting. And so Aaron comes down here. He's got a migraine. And we had a time of prayer for healing in the middle of the circle that we made. And Kevin Vaughn came over. And, and Kevin's like, Lord, I don't know how you heal today, but you know, you say to ask. So Lord, will you give us a gift of healing? And Aaron's mi migraine went away right there. I also had a pinched nerve in my back for six months that was driving me crazy. I could barely move my back. And I had Dean Bonanno pray for me. He laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. And right then the nerve Pinch nerve went away, and I haven't had it since for a year and a half or two years. Guys, God can heal today, all right? Whether you want to call it, you know, I'm just like the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul. Man, I don't know, but God heals today, and I believe that. Now, I encourage you to look at the scriptures and do the research on your own. But uh, one incredible thing is that not one man or one woman possesses a gift of healing that we see in the scriptures, we see in the scriptures that it's plural, that there are gifts of healings or gifts of miracles. And we see that even in Paul's life. He's not a guy that just went around every single time everyone he touched was healed. There were times that the Lord was giving gifts of healings. And there were times that the Lord used suffering in his life through sickness and illness and suffering in his friend's life that he, the Lord didn't grant a healing at that moment. And so we see that, uh, that we're to ask for healing and that the Lord can heal. And in that moment, he has given a gift of healing. And sometimes he does it more often than not in people's lives that have the faith to go ahead and cry out and ask for it. I love that in uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, I know I'm jumping around a lot for you back there, Garrett, but you're doing a great job. Paul is preaching in Lystra, and I love this because you see the gift of faith and you also see healing take place. In Lystra, there was a certain man without strength in his feet, and he was sitting he was a cripple from his mother's womb who'd never walked. And as he heard Paul speak, Paul observed him intently and saw that he had the faith to be healed, and he healed him. I love that story because there's this guy, he's crippled, he's just like... And the Holy Spirit's moving in him and gives him faith to be healed. And Paul sees it and operates. You got two different gifts that are taking place there. Place there. Uh, faith and healing. We're going to move through next week and just continue on through the gifts of the Spirit. And, uh, and you know, I would just say we'll end there and we'll have the, the team come forward to close us in worship. But, you know, yesterday I stood on my pickup tailgate in front of a couple hundred people at the Christmas Bazaar and I preached the gospel to uh, people waiting to get presents for their kids. And the message the Lord wanted me to give them was, hey guys, it's not about presents. It's about the present. And his name is Jesus. And I got to tell them that the best gift we could ever have is salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. He is the gift. Romans tells us that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift that God gives is eternal life. And if you're here today and you've never been a Christian, you've never been saved, you've never received Jesus into your life to change your life and to use you and to, to change you to be like him, you've never received him as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to give you a chance to receive the best gift today because there's no point in asking for the gifts of the Spirit. If you're not born again, you need to be saved first. And so if you're here today, it's a beautiful thing that a woman from the bazaar who is from the Mormon church felt the Lord calling her out of Mormonism, talked to Blaine yesterday, he invited her to church, she came last service, and she came forward during the last service to say, I want the gift of Jesus, I want to be saved, I want to be born again. And maybe you're here today, praise God. Maybe you're here today, and you're not born again. Really nice person, 
Yeah? An American, yeah. But you're an American nice person who's going to hell. And you need to have Jesus in your life to cover you and to forgive your sins. Jesus says, I'm going to take a heart of stone out of you and I'm going to put a heart of flesh into you so that you can know me. It's called being born again. And it's the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. And you can receive it like a gift right now where you're at. You don't got to stand up, sit down, roll around, say a special prayer. Just say, like a little kid receiving a present, I want salvation, Lord. Change me. Save me. But then maybe you're here today and you are born again and you've been saved. But you looked at your life earlier in this message and you said, you know what? I am dry, I am dull, there's no power, this is boring, I'm not using a gift, I don't even know if I have a gift. Ah! And I would just say, whether we get baptized with the Holy Spirit when we're born again, or whether today the Lord wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, you need him. You need his power. All right, He wants to come upon you in a fresh way today and give you power to live for him to be a martyr, even if it comes to that. And he wants to give you power to use the gifts that he's given you. And so maybe you're here today and you just see dryness and you need that torrent of living water to come upon you and just flood you and saturate you and give you power and passion and incredible vital life in a fresh new way today. And thirdly, maybe you're here today and you need that fresh filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you also don't know what in the world your gifts are or gift is, and you want the Lord to give you that gift, a specific gift, or just say, Lord, give me gifts and show me how to use them. Jesus says, you know what? If a little boy went and talked to his dad and said, dad, can I have a loaf of bread? Would he give him a snake? No. Or he said, dad, can I have an egg? Would he give him a scorpion? No. Or a rock? No. If those evil men know how to give good gifts, Jesus says this in Luke, how about the, doesn't the Lord know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so ask today. Ask the Lord for more of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord for gifts of the Spirit. And we're only like a third of the way through looking at all the gifts here. So you might not even know all of them. Or, but say, I'm already knowing that I need them and I need to be using them in this church. So God, give me them today. And so we're going to close in a song. And we're going to have uh, the elders come forward if they're not on the worship team. <laughs> we're going to have the elders come forward and just be available to pray for you. And maybe you need prayer for salvation today and you'd like us to pray with you. Or maybe you want more of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you want gifts. Or maybe today you're sick, you're hurt, you're wounded, you're hurting physically. And you need to be healed. You desire to be healed. And God would give you the faith for that today. Like the crippled man at Lystra. We'd invite you to come forward and we'd like to pray for you as elders that God would heal you today. God would be glorified in your life in that way. We're just told to ask. We're just told to ask. So we want to You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.